0: From verse eleven and then all the way to twenty-two. Verse eleven to twenty-two. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called us uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And these are the verses that we're going to be looking at today, starting in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, Rose into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, these past couple weeks, we've been looking at chapter 2, verse 11, and now 19 to 22. We've been talking about, as a whole chapter, of chapter 2 as a whole, talking about God's grace in our lives. And without Him intervening, we would all be dead in our sins. Falling the devil, falling Satan, the Satan in the course of this world, lost without hope. But God in Christ, we have hope. We get to experience his mercy. We get to experience his compassion. We get to experience his love. Now, in verse 11 to the uh, verses we're going to be seeing tonight, similarly, as a people group, Jews and Gentiles, the Gentiles had no hope. They were alienated, Strangers separated from Christ. This group had no hope. Th- this group had no hope. But God in Christ drew, them, drew himself near to the Gentiles, bringing, him, bringing them into the fold. So y- you guys see a lot of parallels between chapter 2, 1 through 10, and 11 through 22. 1, 11, one to 10 as individuals and 11 to 22 as sort of people groups, Jews and Gentiles. So we've been learning also that there's, again, hope, peace, unity, no more hostility, no more enmity between, Jew- between God and the Gentiles. And there's no more distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It's all now one group, one family through the blood of Christ. There's no distinction. All accomplished through one body, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, <coughs> we are now all one in Christ. And that's sort of all... That sort of summary leads up to what we're going to be looking at today in verse 19 to 22. So I've titled this message, Christians, Members of God's Church. Christians, Members of God's Church. We're going to be looking at four questions. That's sort of the way I like to break down or understand the passage. What is the church? Who makes up the church? How is the church built? And what is the purpose of the church? What is the church? Who makes up the church? How is the church built? And what's the purpose of the church? So, before we even jump into verse 19, I want to talk a little bit about what is the church? What is the church? So, if you guys remember, Teacher Sam was talking about last week how the church wasn't actually created until Pentecost. We see that in Acts 2. And you see how. People heard the word of God and they were convicted in the hearts and they repented and they were being baptized. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And so you see Christians coming together and building a church around these subjects in regards to teaching, prayer, breaking of bread and fellowship. So we see the church be built when the Pentecost happens in Acts 2. And then the the term church is a translation of a Greek word having to do with a meeting together or assembly. So again, the church, the word itself is a a translation of a Greek word talking about meeting together or assembly. And there's sort of confusion, right? Because when you think about church, oftentimes people think about, can you guys take a stab at what people might think about or associate church with? God, okay, this is God, you can associate church with God, good. What else? Building, building. that's what I was going for. I got the jackpot, even though he had the mask on. So a lot of people think of church as a building, right? It's like these four walls make up a church. But in reality, what we're understanding is the church is a meeting together or assembly of Christians, and we'll learn more about what makes up of that church. And then now I want to make a sort of a distinction between two ideas. There's the di- idea of the universal church and the local church. The universal church and the local church. We see that, let's talk about the local church first. We see that in Acts, Paul, who was once known as Saul, was persecuting the local church. Right? And people. Christians would flee from those areas and start proclaiming Christ in uh, different parts of the areas. And we see local church being planted. And you see that reference in, in many of, patches, m- many of passages, um, one being 1 First Thess- First Thessalonians 1.1. As an example, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in, Go- in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. So a church was planted in Thessalonica, Decel- right? And we also see that in other passages, talking about how churches were being, local churches were being built, churches that made up of members of Christians coming together, assembling together to break bread, break bread, hear the apostles' teaching, and pray. We also see the idea of the universal church. Universal church is the idea of not being constrained by a building, but really defined as members, Christians, as a whole. Christians as a whole. And we see this reference of universal church uh, in passages like Acts 8 3 in Acts nine thirty one, Acts 8 3 says but Sa- Saul was ravage- ravaging the church church universal as a whole and entering house after house so he's not mentioning the idea of local church but he's they're referencing here the church as a whole body of believers universal but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he was dragging off men and women committing them to prison Another verse that talks about the idea of universal church, Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So there's sort of this idea of the church broken out into the idea of local and universal church, and that sort of helps us in regards to understanding what we're going to be talking about more in today's passage. So we then move on to actually looking at the verse. In verse 19, we see who makes up the church. In verse 19, we see who makes up the church. And again, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I think what stands out to me in in this verse is that he reiterates the point that we are no longer strangers and aliens. If you remember looking at the previous passages, he talks about that quite frequently. He talks about that in verse 11. That one time you were uncircumcision, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers having no hope. You were far off in verse 13, it says, but you were brought near by Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down Reason verse 14 and he keeps re-emphasizing this idea that you were once as a people group specifically for the Gentiles once separated foreigners alone had no right or no relationship with God but now he says but you are now fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God but you are now fellow citizens saints and members of the household of God and I think this is an important point to bring up in the sense that he's reminding us of what we once were and now who we are. We have access to God through Christ. We are no longer, again, uh, alienated. And I sort of think of the picture when my sister went to UC Berkeley. One day I was visiting her, and down the street we were walking, finishing dinner. Down the street, this homeless person came by, right? And he had his arms wide open. And for some reason, I was, I was younger then. I was probably still like in fifth or sixth grade. I saw his arms wide open approaching me. I was like, oh, he wants a hug. So I was approaching him and about to give him a hug. But then my parents, my family were like, what are you doing? And ripped me apart. I was like, what are you doing? Don't you know it's a homeless person? Homeless people, I don't know if you guys have interacted with homeless people, right? But they smell, right? Why? Because they don't have restrooms, or they can't take clean showers. And we thought, you know what teenage boys after some sports activities or activities in general smell? We know that homeless people, because of the lack of the vicinity to shower or even to use the restroom, so they might urinate on themselves, or even you might notice they might have some feces on them. All these different things, or they even don't have a change of clothes to be able to spare, right? So. Homeless person is so alienated from population because maybe just of its scent or aura, right? But now, God, through Christ, not because of what we have done, not because of who we are or maybe our family lineage, we've talked about this before, right? Not because your parents are Christian or go to church. Not because of not because of your skills, not because of your talents, not because of your looks, not because of your grades. Nothing that you earned or merited is able to obtain God's favor. But we read in the passages we've seen before, he was the one who came. He was the one who drew near to us, even though we were so vile in our sin. We were enemies with God because of our actions, because we disobeyed, because we didn't want any part of God. And yet he drew near to us so that we can have faith in Christ, so that we can believe, we can have access to God. So it's no longer the separation; He provides a way to atone for our sins. And by doing that, by accepting that, accepting Christ into our lives, by having faith in Him, and by repenting of our sins, we can have access. We can be fellow citizens. We can be members of the household of God. We no longer are alone, alienated, separated, foreigners, far off. We can be brought near and can drawn near to God because of what Christ has done, because of what we believe and hold on to. And we have that, then we have, we have access. We have benefits as saints and members of the households of God. So Paul's reminding you here, what you once, what you once were before you knew Christ, Before you repented, before you put your faith in Christ, you were alienated, separated strangers who had no hope. But now because of Christ, you are drawn near, you are citizens and members in the household of God. So Christians who are citizens and members of the household of God are the people who make up the church. And we have benefits, right? I sort of think of it this way. Yeah, another story to sort of give you a little more more sad, right? So say someone, so say a family was driving down the street, and as, the, as they were driving, they were hit by a car. And tragically, when that accident happened, that family, husband, wife, three children, wife and the three children passed away because of that tragic accident. The guy who was driving the other car, hit them, didn't see them, was on their phone, whatever it may be, and when they went to court, they just, justly sentenced him to prison, 10 years for each life that was lost, for 40 years. So think about it this way. That person who's in now in jail after ha- committing that, that accident or that crash into the other car is in jail for 40 years now. Serving the punishment that he rightly deserves. And as that 40 year comes, 40 years come, he finally gets to be free from his punishment. Right? 40 years is up, he gets free. The person who was driving that vehicle knows that he's his prison, sen- prison sentence is now up and free. He can be a normal citizen now. He served justly his right term. So if they were to if they were to see each other on the street right this person is no longer guilty of what they've done they're forgiven but the person whose family was lost doesn't need to see them as a person doesn't need to interact with them doesn't need to bring them into have a relationship with that person right But if he he chooses to do so, that's an act of grace and mercy. And so so I'm sort of telling that story in the sense that we can be forgiven, and that's great. We can be forgiven of our sins, but even more, even better that we get to have access. We are brought in, and we have membership into the household of God. We are now called saints. We are now called brothers. We now have a father in, in our Lord and our God. So now we we understand that this this fellow citizens and saints and the members of the household of God are those who make up the church. But how is this church built in our next point? And we see that in verse 20. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So we see that the term apostles and prophets are the foundations of this household of God, of this church. So are we saying literally apostles and prophets are literal foundation bricks for the household of God? No, we aren't. We're saying that the apostles and prophets are like the founding fathers of the U.S. They are the ones who have... Come and served and been used by God to communicate, to be able to bring and draw those who are far off into the fold. So they are the foundation, there are foundational pieces in regards to the building of the church. In regards to the definition or sort of the understanding of between the apostle and prophets, there is a distinction between the two, uh, but at the same time, you see them being used for similar purposes. There's a distinction between apostles and prophets, but at the same time, God uses them both in regards to the way he goes about it. In regards to the apostles, Apostles were the ones who were sent out on missions and fully delegated with authority by Christ Jesus to minister and to witness his, and they were ministers and witnesses of his resurrection. So these apostles were with him, um, again, in his ministry and witnessed his resurrection, and Paul was also considered an apostle, was born out of the season, but received the gift of apostleship, uh, as we see in Acts 4.11 or um, in, in the New Testament. And then I guess the distinction in regards to prophets was that they were just communicators of the divine revelation, whereas apostles had divine commission to a specific task, prophets' task action was to communicate divine revelation. So they were different but at the same time God used them for the purpose of building up the church. And although they are important and necessary, what's more important is Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So the idea of the cornerstone was like a like a brick, right? It's called the idea the first stone, the tipping stone. Is the idea of like the perfect right angle. And so from a masonry perspective or from a building perspective, you needed to have a perfect stone to set the building up. And based off of that cornerstone, all the other buildings would be built on that from the top up or from the side out. And so if you did not have a good and right cornerstone, then things would deviate. Things would steer away. Things would... Not be straight anymore, and it would ultimately ruin the building. So I don't know if you guys have experienced arts and crafts. I don't know. I remember when I was younger, I b- built missions in regards to using crackers or sugar canes or whatever maybe. Have you guys done any type of construction making? maybe, I don't know, your own sword or making a bench or a chair or a skateboard? Have anyone done anything like that? some? Yeah, right? I don't know if you guys used the same piece multiple times and had to base it off a instrument or base it off one piece and build it off of that. If you use, I remember creating a stand-up desk for myself. Right? I have this change log. I bought it. I was using this one 2x4 and I had to cut it smaller to be able to fit my desk. But I cut it slanted and I was using that to base off the next cuts. And I didn't realize it until after I put it all together. And so it was all messed up. And fortunately though, that the desktop or the laptop, the screen wasn't too heavy, so it didn't fall off. But the point is, if, if it deviates, if it's not perfect in regards to the cornerstone, that, that piece that is the foundation piece, it will steer, it would be crooked and ultimately ruin the building. Similar to our faith though, Jesus is the cornerstone to our faith. He's the most crucial aspect of our faith, and he's not And our faith is found in relationship with God through faith in the Son, rather not again, on our good works, our lineage, in regards to Christian parents, our abilities, good looks, none of those things. Our faith is centered on what Christ has done. He is the cornerstone of our faith. If not, if we base it off of our good works, our grades, our things that we have achieved, that will deviate, that will be crooked, that will turn and not be straight and actually deviate us to eternity, eternity in hell, condemning us for our sins. And we see the similar concept in 1 Peter 2, 1 to 8. We see the similar concept in 1 Peter 1 to 1 Peter 2, 1 to 8. Maybe you guys can turn there with me. Look at me when Peter 1 Peter 1-8 First Peter 2-1-8 I'll read it for us it's a similar concept so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him a living stone rejected by men the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So we see the similar concept in First Peter 1 Peter 1-2 in that <coughs> Christ Jesus is that perfect cornerstone. And yet we see in the past and even we see now that even though we understand that we read the Bible, we see that Christ fulfilled completely God's commands without any sin. Yet people still reject him for a multitude of reasons. And it's for their shame for rejecting them that way. So we see in regards to how the church is built by the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone of that. And now we're going to look into last point, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? And we see that in the last last verse in verse 22. 21 to 22 in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see that the purpose of the church is to be holy. purpose of the church is to be a dwelling place for God. And the purpose of the church is for us to sacrifice and our sacrifice is a worship towards God. So we see in verse 21 that the church being members, being Christians who make up the church are to grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Holy temple unto the Lord. For the temple, this church, this Christians who make up this church, is the place where God dwells, place where God dwells. And as we saw in 1 Peter 2 as well, and places like Romans 12, we as Christians are to, with our gifts, with our talents that God has given us, use that <coughs> as means of sacrifice, as means of sacrifice, as means of worship to God. We give back to God in regard to sacrifice as appreciation for we know it's pleasing to god and we see that in romans 12 1. we use again as living sacrifices living sacrifice holy and sec- holy and acceptable to god as a spiritual act of worship for no matter how big or small it is it does not compare to how god has sacrificed his only beloved son so we can have access to him In regards to our acts of worship, it doesn't, again, matter how big or small it is. We know it does not compare to what God has sacrificed for our sins in his son in his beloved son so we can have access to him. This is the God we worship. He invites us, he invites you to turn from your wicked ways and to have faith in him. And by doing so, we can be a people we can be the makeup of the church and be able to use our gifts to to worship and to serve God with our gifts so that is the purpose of the church as we see in regards to the holy and holy the holiness of the church and dwelling place and we can use our gifts as sacrifice and as worship to him So we see as a conclusion from verse 19 to 22, Christians are members of God's church. We understood what the church, what is the church, who makes up the church, and how the church is built and what the church's purpose is. So now I'm going to be praying and we're going to be breaking off into our small groups. Let's pray. Father God, Father thank, you. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for the apostles and prophets that came before us, uh, preached your word, that shared the good news, that were faithful despite persecution, despite the shame, despite punishment from those around, and they were faithful to uh, the task that you had laid before them. It has now given us the opportunity in this age for people, pastors, mentors, brothers and sisters, small group leaders, to have preached the good news into our lives and for us uh, to hear it and for you to draw near to us and to change our hearts, to soften our hearts, to know your word, to know who you are, to know the goodness of you, and to draw near. So, Father, I, I pray, God, that. For those who do not know you, those who do not have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would uh, convict them, convict them of their sin, convict them of their destination without you, and be able to uh, fill them up uh, with hope in Christ, that there is a resolution, that there is punishment taken away through Christ by putting our faith in him by doing so, we can be built up as a church. We can uh, be, used, be able to be using our gifts to serve one another, serve the local body, and serve even the, the universal church, Father. Father, I pray that you could um, bless the time in regards to discussions with um, our time as small groups. I pray that you uh, would be pleased in our conversations and our time together. <coughs> Thank you, and I pray this in your son's name. Son. Amen.